This is Creating Windows, Not Bars, a monthly show on Justice Radio on WMPG, with your hosts, Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly. Today we are talking with Nicole Linker with the Lewiston Rest Center and the Church of Safe Injection about how probation, parole, and supervised community confinement program, also known as home confinement, works in Maine, and how these programs relate to community safety, active rehabilitation, and the opportunity for second chances for people released from incarceration. But first, a little information about us. I'm Linda Small a project coordinator with Maine Prisoner Advocacy Coalition and executive director of Reentry Sisters, an organization with a trauma-informed and gender-responsive approach to reentry. And I'm Mackenzie Kelly, the Kennebec County Recovery Coach Coordinator for Healthy Acadia, a recovery coach in Kennebec County Jail and the director of Reentry Sisters. For the past several months, we have worked together to provide support and community for justice-impacted women as they reunify with their families, look for work and housing, and complete their educational aspirations. Our show explores safety and community and asks what it's like for people to come home after serving time in prison. Today, we are talking about what it's like to participate in the Supervised Community Confinement Program or to serve time on probation. I'm currently on SCCP, which we'll call home confinement for the rest of the show. After someone is found or pleads guilty, the court can sentence a person to time in jail, prison, probation, or a combination of these. As we've learned from Marion and Craig's November 13th show, Guilty pleas are sometimes strategies that even non-guilty people make to avoid maximum sentencing if they're taking their case to trial and lose. So before we get to probation, there needs to be a crime. Do we think that everyone who breaks a law should be in jail? Well, let me ask you if you've ever gone over the speed limit, ever driven while under the influence, or shoplifted when you were a kid, or even experimented with something that was illegal at the time. So yeah, Linda, I guess when you put it that way, then I have broken the law. Does that make me a criminal? Maybe we should rethink the definition of the word criminal or just stop using it altogether. After all, I doubt anyone can say that they've never done anything illegal. If you don't have personal or family experience, these programs are confusing. We're given some general information about community release programs, but to learn more about what happens after you've been arrested, listen to Catherine and Leo's podcast from November 3rd on the WMPG Justice Radio website. So let's start by talking about probation. What is it, Linda? Well, probation is one of the penalties that the court can sentence a person with. It can be an alternative to prison or in addition to the sentence someone serves in prison or jail. For instance, if someone receives a seven-year sentence with two of those years suspended, that means that they'll spend five years in prison with the remaining two years they'll serve on probation. So after they get out of prison, they're supervised in the community by a probation officer for two more years. Mackenzie, can you share some of your experience while on probation in Maine? Yeah, um, for me, probation was stressful. It was a complete source of stress when I got out, like, am I going to be doing something wrong? Am I going to end up coming back to jail? Uh, What is it that I could potentially do that could send me back to jail? 
Not to mention the fact that it was like the probation officer already knew me and kind of knew my reputation and had this preconceived notion about who I was as a person or my values. And that just felt, I don't know, it just felt so wrong, I guess. And so like, she actually had told my mother, your daughter's not going to make it. She's going to fail. She's going back to prison. And when I found that out, I was like, oh man, this is not a good deal for me, you know? But there was always this looming thing of when's my next um, urinalysis? Um, what is it that she's going to hit me with next time? The problem here lies in that I'm a felon, what they consider a felon, right? And um, it is really hard to find a job or an apartment uh, being convicted of a crime. So if you don't have a place to live or if you don't have a job, that's just one more reason for them to be able to send me back to jail. Wow, Mackenzie, that sounds like a really difficult situation to live under and be successful. Uh, what was uh, probation like for you, Nicole? Man, for me, when I was on probation, I feel the same exact way as Mackenzie. It was just so stressful. And then trying to get a job, just like she said, as a felon is, is near impossible. Then to top it off, when you do find a job, you have all these appointments and counseling and days that you're supposed to see probation and it just interferes with your job. So then your job's like, oh, well, we're going to have to let you go because you have to do so much for probation. And it was just so stressful worrying about, am I going to miss probation or am I going to have to call out of work and lose my job or am I going to miss counseling and they're going to give me a sanction and I'm going to go back to jail like it was just a lot I felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time back when I was on probation they didn't work with us you had a dirty urine or you did anything to get in trouble you were right back in jail or prison and so Nicole can you explain a little bit it about the dirty urine process what what does that mean and what is that like so back when I was on probation say for instance marijuana was not legal at the time so even if you came into probation and you did a urinalysis and you were dirty for weed they had every right to send you back and for me personally that's something that's always for me as an addict been a big thing because taking pills will lead me right back into being an addict again so it was something that I had to basically hide and try to pass tests. And it, it just was a bad. And, and then so say you were to go in and you were dirty for heroin or coke. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. If you were dirty then, you were back in jail. And for me, every single time that I was on probation and I had a dirty urine, they fully revoked my probation just because they automatically assumed mm -hmm well, we can't give her a chance because she's just going to do it again. So, Nicole, since there are over 5,000 Mainers on probation right now, and usually the average for probation officer ratio to probationer is so much higher than the national average, did you feel like you were getting the attention that you needed, or would you rather have been able to spend more time building a relationship with your probation officer? I certainly would have preferred having more time with my probation officer because I feel like if I had more time and they 
were able to know me more as a person, it wouldn't have been as hard for them to trust me to go to work and, and miss checking in one day or coming in and, and failing a urine test and them working with me instead of sending me right back to jail because that just made me want to do it more and more. And so how did constantly being checked by probation and the potential of going back to jail um, impact your family life? Uh, it actually completely ruined my marriage. I'm so sorry to hear that, Nicole. It didn't help that we were both on probation. So we both were constantly having to do check-ins at separate times and we were driving the same vehicle. So, you know, we were having to miss work for one or the other, or we were having to miss meetings or anything that probation was asking us to do. It, it made it really hard. And so did you have any children at the time, Nicole? I did. I had three boys at the time. And so how did that affect your children and your relationship with them? Back when I was on probation and with the charges that I had, with probation constantly sending police officers to my house and coming out to my house at one or two o'clock in the morning, it was really stressful for my kids to constantly seeing officers in their home where we're supposed to feel safe and watching me get arrested over the smallest things was so, so bad for them. And they actually, two of my children actually have a lot of trauma from it. Thank you so much for sharing um, your story about you and your family, Nicole, and the issues that you're having and and uh, trying to heal your family. And this is why it's a generational issue when we're talking about these reentry programs and the carceral state in general. Every time that we send a parent, particularly a mother, to prison or jail, we are directly affecting the next generation their family, these children that we should be taking care of. Thank you both um, for sharing your experiences on probation. And did you realize that according to a January 2022 Department of Corrections report, there are 5,350 Mainers on some type of community supervision, whether that's probation, home confinement, or parole. And by the way, Maine abolished parole in 1976. And we'll get to that later in the show. Though a few years ago, an article claimed that Maine's caseloads for probation officers were nearly twice the national average. It seems that Maine could use an earned time credit program like many other states have. What's a probation earned time credit program, Linda? Oh, well, for those on community supervision, credits may be earned by following the conditions set by an individual's plan. This typically includes complying with reporting, making progress on your treatment program, and paying all your fines and fees. So Missouri and also Utah and Kansas and Arkansas, for example, probationers and parolees may earn up to 30 days off their sentence for every month that they do well on community supervision. Missouri's earned time credit program produ uh, reduced the state's supervised population by approximately 13,000 individuals in the first three years. And according to national research, Maine is on the low end for the people earning credit for active, rehabil active rehabilitation in our communities. Mainers stay on probation 21% longer than the national average which puts Maine in the top 15 states for the longest time people stay on supervision, on probation. So do you think you would have been more successful on probation if Maine had had an earned time program credit like Missouri, Nicole? This one's a really hard one for me to answer because I do 
work my program and I do what I'm supposed to be doing, I think that it would have been great for me. But I've also seen a lot of people that I work with daily that the minute that they're off probation, they're right back out to doing what they're doing because they don't have that over their head. So I feel like if there was a more structured environment around probation and what they do to help you, I think that would be a great program. And people wouldn't be people wouldn't be stressed out as long having to go through all of this stuff if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Thank you, Nicole. It sounds like we're looking for a more supportive system um, through probation rather than an oppressive or stressful um, situation that just really adds to the difficulty in transitioning successfully, you know, back to your community, work, family. Um, so, Mackenzie, can you answer? What do you think? Yeah, um, for me, I definitely think it would have been amazing because it's one of those things that you think of while you're in prison, like, um, what can I possibly do to get me out sooner to be with my family, you know, to be with the ones that I care about and to start my life over again? Um, I'm not necessarily even thinking about myself. I want to talk about the, you know, the people that the system kind of fails, the ones who don't have that support and, you know, that are planning on going back and, and doing the same thing. And it's like, I think if there were a program out there that said, listen, this is, you know, what can happen for you if you get into this sort of, you know, into this sort of uh, program. I think just those little steps can start to make a person uh, question, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and maybe to make a uh, to make you want to change your life, you know, because I didn't necessarily know there was a different way to live my life. I thought it was all, you know, drugs and money and criminal behavior. But once I actually started, like Nicole was saying, working a program, I realized that my life was more than that. And it could be more than that. So when we get into programs like this, where it's like, all right, I can get time off my sentence and maybe even make my life better and move forward. I think we should research anything of that type. And so, Mackenzie, that sounds like you're referring to what we said earlier, active rehabilitation. Can you expand on that a little bit, please? Yeah. So when I think of active rehabilitation, it's uh, just being engaged in what you're working towards and, and working with your community. You know, just staying um, involved in every aspect of your life and making your life better. I didn't realize there was a community for me until it was presented to me, you know, and it's not like success is this end statement. Oh, once I, re you know, reach my definition of success, then I'll stop working for it. No, I, I continue to do the best possible thing that I can every day. And that's what I think about when I say active rehabilitation. It's constantly working towards the next right thing. That's great. Thank you for sharing, Mackenzie and Nicole. You are listening to Creating Windows, Not Bars, Justice Radio. 
with Linda Small and Mackenzie Kelly. Today we are talking about supervised community programs of probation, home confinement, and parole, and how they affect communities and the people and families of those returning from prison. So tell me, Linda, what is Maine's home confinement program? Well, the new home confinement legislation passed last year, and the Department of Corrections policy was written in collaboration with co corrections staff, victim services input, probation, and other community stakeholders, which shows it's possible for various groups to work together. When someone is incarcerated, they can apply for home confinement during the last 24 months of their sentence. An application typically includes what you have done while you're incarcerated to show all the positive changes that you've made to set yourself up for success in your community. It also includes your plans for where you're going to live, are you going to school, how you will financially support yourself, and anything else that helps you build social connections with your family, friends, and community members. Once you have this packet of information together, it goes to a probation officer for review and they check out your plan. They ask community members, local law enforcement, and anyone else in your life if they believe the plan can be realistically implemented for the person to be successful. But not everyone who applies is accepted into the home confinement program. Mackenzie, how's the home confinement program working for you and has it affected your success? Um, I've done great on home confinement, to be honest. Um, but I also think it's because I started this framework for my success before I left prison and I was ready to change my life. I know that uh, different probation officers are are different for, you know, the people that they, you know, supervise. But um, really... Aside from the supervision, I've just wanted to change my life. And uh, I also do think that it has kept me accountable to it to a certain extent, but it almost gives me this feeling of, okay, maybe I can make it, you know, where I could absolutely not make it on probation before. I, I don't know whether that's an experience from... Um, you know, past failures or what. The, I also think there's a problem with um, resources as far as the probation officers go. Uh, they, I don't think they really know a whole lot of programming in order to help you. I, I mean, that's at least the way it feels for me especially, you know, if you're struggling. I, I do think that they're more open to getting people help rather than automatically just putting them in jail now. But um, that could just be my experience. Yeah, Nicole, what do you think? Um, For me, being on home confinement, I have been actually lucky to work with two different probation officers as I transitioned out of the sober house. Um. My first probation officer was very aware of the program and what to expect. And she's very, very structured. Um, and she's also, which I'd never seen when I was on probation before, she is very, very interested in keeping up with the policy and making sure that what she was doing was correct. 
and that was a super, super awesome experience for me. And then I moved out to where I am now and the probation officer that I have now, he didn't have, he's never had anybody on SCCP. So the difference with him um, is that he doesn't know the policy. So, but he's willing to sit down and, and listen and go through it with me and figure more things out. And it's actually been so much better for me being on home confinement and having the structure that I was previously talking about for probation that we didn't have. We we have that now with the home confinement and, and the way that things are with that. And for me, it has worked amazing. I've actually been out on home confinement for eight months today. I've got seven months left to go. And I don't sit here today and stress about whether or not I'm going to do something wrong. Well, congratulations, mm -hmm. Nicole. That's fantastic. So it sounds like you're building a relationship and you're creating a partnership um, with your probation officer. Did Unlike Mackenzie, do you find that the resources are are more available to you? Is that because you were in a sober house? I think for me, because of what I do for work on a daily basis, resources has been really easy for me to come by. I mean, even my probation officer, when I first got out, she still contacts me for resources. And she's came over and had a meeting at the Church of Safe Injection with us to learn about what we can do and how we can help them with resources. So I think it's, I think they're doing great with resources in my area. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the one thing, right? Is like, I actually have really good resources as far as where I work. And I'm so lucky in that aspect. Um, I just think that they, they I don't know. My probation officer is amazing. I'm not going to say one bad thing about him because I just, I, I do. He treats me like a human being and I'm not used to that. Uh, maybe that's a change in policy or just a change in the, um, officer, but I, I, uh, I definitely really appreciate that. So Wow, um, that is really amazing. He treats you like a human being. Can you expand on that a little bit? What does that actually feel like? And what does that mean for your success? Both of you could answer that. Well, uh, I mean, for me, you're in prison. You're you're treated like a, a number. You're not. It doesn't feel like most of the time that you are a human being. It's just like a, a less than you know, and, and that's really the only way I can explain it is a less than, which is why I can't stand now when people call me Kelly. <laughs> don't do that. I don't want to hear the last name. I don't want to hear any of those things because it is, you know, you're, you're already in a box. Yeah. I, I mean, in my head, I was in a cage and, and sometimes I felt like a dog and, and times that we were actually treated like that. You know, and and being out and being um, spoken to like I wasn't less than. And there, that's the best way I can explain it is I didn't feel like I was smaller than my probation officer. Like he treated me closer to an equal, even though there is obviously this power differential. We're still like, you know, Nicole. I think for me, 
being treated like a human being has been a big thing. So for instance, when I was on probation, if I were to call my probation officer and say, I feel like using today, what do I do? They would automatically come and arrest me and put me back in jail. Today, I can still call my old probation officer from when I first got out and say, hey, I'm having a really hard day. And she will either come out to me or she will give me resources that she knows or supports that she knows to help me through that moment and not automatically just assume because I have a thought that that's what's going to happen. And that's an amazing feeling to me. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Nicole. So let's move on to another community corrections program, parole. Maine hasn't had a parole program in 46 years. So what is parole, Linda? Parole is an early release program for people with longer prison sentences. A person must show the same willingness for self-rehabilitation as the home confinement program, but go in front of a parole board who investigates before making a decision. But we don't have parole in Maine. So for now, people with very long sentences, like 30 or 50 years or more, don't have this option. Release programs shouldn't be politicized, but are human issues and speak to whether or not our current carceral system is effective. So why does parole make sense for the state of Maine? Well, Maine is one of only 16 states without a parole program. Parole offers incentives for people to take responsibility for their rehabilitation and participate in educational programs and good behavior, which help them to succeed in transitioning. Without parole, Mainers spend more money to house, feed, and educate people in prison than to allow those people to support themselves in some form of supervised release. So have either one of you read the recent Colby Laboratory Economic Study on Parole? No, Linda. What did it say? Well, looking at parole in relation to Maine's labor market crisis, an increase in Maine's workforce of only 100 employees working across lobstering, construction, auto repair, and restaurant industries would result in approximately $14.7 million in increased economic activity. And several other states are reinstating or expanding parole programs or are working on alternatives for supervised release because it makes sense for families, communities, and the taxpayer. Linda, did you know that hearings were actually recently held for LD-842 to create the commission to examine reestablishing parole? Hmm. Oh, how can people get information to make up their own minds about parole in Maine, Mackenzie? You can find the link to listen to the hearings on WMPG's Justice Radio website. You can also Google LD842 to read what it says and decide for yourself if parole makes sense for Maine. Today, we discovered over 5,000 Mainers are under some form of community supervision. What's important to remember is that programs like these are what we use to introduce someone back into our communities. They are a vital part of a person's success from incarceration to becoming a productive member of society. Next week, please join Representative Charlotte Warren and Zoe Bocas on Justice Radio to learn about the upcoming Maine 131st legislative session and what can be done to redefine and reimagine equity, restoration, and justice through legislative action.
And a big thank you to Samuel James for his gift of music that opens and closes each episode in our series. 